taboo. Um, right. But my mother was a, a amazing, strong, beautiful ex model. She was she modeled. She was an actress. She had a black belt. She was a Buddhist. You know, I was born to two Buddhists, two Black Panther Buddhists. You know, wow. I mean? so there's Black Panthers. They were Buddhists. They, you know, really outside successful. You know, and it was 1980, and she she died by by suicide. But she died even by suicide in a way that was against all statistics, all stereotypes. You know what I mean? Being black, being mm -hmm. a woman, it's 1980 and by gun in a public place. Like it was a very intense, it wasn't like somebody found her at home. She sat at the foot of a, of a statue in front of the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. And um, on Sunday, August 10th, 1980 at about 9 a.m. Um, in a park she um she you know shot herself in the head hello and welcome to another episode of music and nostalgia we are here live for another episode and what's really great is we're in the middle or at the end of Black History Month. We know Black History runs 365 days a year, but we have this one month that's specifically annotated for it, right? And I got, got the chance to bring on one of my good friends, Big Bro, uh, father of geniuses. Uh, I mean, Chicago Chicago native, but Ari he does everything from A to Z right now, right? You know, Phoenix, Arizona, genius. I mean, one of the biggest hearts I know. Poet ran the largest poetry set that i have ever heard of and i'm quite certain the largest in the entire nation for years out in arizona one of the most genuine brothers i know down to earth good friend and somebody that's going to blow your mind so please welcome to the show today the brother you see off to the side of me here harold branch or as affectionately known as hb bro what's going on sir what up, family? How you doing, brother? Thank you for having me. You know what I mean. I appreciate it. No doubt, no, no doubt. You know, I've been, I've been at the moment I decided I was going to do this podcast. You're one of the people that I said has to be on the show, um, and it was mandatory for me to hunt you down. And it just happened to work out that our our, our schedules aligned that we could have yeah. this opportunity today for Black History Month, right? And uh, sure. so much historic things, so much historic things keep happening. Like, let's off rip, let's talk about your kids. Like, I don't even, you know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. But like I mentioned, father of geniuses, right? You know, yeah. let the world know a little bit about like age and stage where they are not just like credential wise right but like the heart like like we talk right you know yeah, like sure. we friends here oh yeah you my man so um yeah man super proud of them but um before man they just such a gracious intro you know what i mean gracious introduction and um i appreciate it man just that honor i appreciate you pulling out the good hat for your boy you know what i'm saying it was the beard is looking luxurious and whatnot <laughs> you know what i mean and so it's just always good to see you man and i appreciate you a lot i do um i got two beautiful kids my um my daughter is 13 just turned 13 at the end of january my son is 16 years old uh, my daughter ella 
Ella Branch, Ella Rose Branch, named after my mom. And my son is Harold Gregory Branch the fourth. So we call him Quattro. So Ella and Quattro. Ella is uh, 13 and uh freshman in high school she got into high school at the age of 12 going to an extremely gifted high school and she just she's uh, amazing she's brilliant just scholarships after scholarships just recently she um in addition to knocking out her physics and you know all of that taking classes I never got to take in high school and even in college um some of them but she's um she was just named a Smith Group Scholar. Smith Group is the oldest architecture firm in the United States. And because of how gifted she are, she is with uh, music, fashion, art, um, drawing concepts, as well as engineering and physics and science and math. Um, she was named one of the Smith Group Scholars. And that's the first time they've stepped into dealing with high school students. Normally, it's just college students that they're trying to move into the architecture world. And um, she she's the youngest. And because she was 12 when this happened, then she was the youngest ever in history since like 1863 to be considered um, to be a Smith Group Scholar, which is dope. Um, you know, she started getting her letters from colleges, kind of trying to get at her when she was 11 years old, which was really, really fly. So she's she got several college uh, <laughs> colleges trying to, you know, lock her down already, which is awesome. Major. Quattro, I say again? I said that was major. Oh, super major, super major. And, you know, Quattro led the way as a big brother should. You know, when he was nine, he took the ACTs and scored a 21 <laughs> those, uh, when he was nine, which was awesome. Black Enterprise Magazine did an article on me and my ex- Remember that. Yeah, about co-parenting genius black children um, or what have you as a divorced dad. Um, so that was um, super dope, right? That was amazing. Um, now he is a, and you know, he was getting Man, all the universe, everybody was trying to get at him. Um, it was weird seeing him saying, yeah, I'm not going to go to MIT yet um, or Harvard. I'm going to save that for grad school. So he's at Arizona State University. Um, got He was done with high school. He could have went at 14, but we held him back a couple years. So he's yeah. 16, just finished his first semester in biomedical engineering um, major and killing it. Just absolutely doing his thing, full ride and scholarships and you know, just a brainiac, but both of them extremely social, extremely happy. That's yeah. the most important thing, man. They're happy kids. Yeah. Very social, very connected to their age, right? My daughter loves being 13, 12, 13, and she has yeah. 12, 13, thank God. And my son's 16 and maneuvering to college, but not wilding out, man. I just been blessed, haven't had a lot of the challenges that a lot of, you know, other parents and my friends and some of my young people just struggling in different ways, right? I work in yeah. that world um, and done work in that world for a long time. So um, I realized how blessed, you know, how blessed I am to have those spirits that I get to guide on this journey, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I love them, but I respect them a lot. And uh, I admire them and they, they, they keep me going. Part of the reason why I went back to school myself, right? So yeah, yep, yep very proud of them. A family of geniuses here. You're like you're like the Incredibles, uh, but <laughs> real. <laughs> I think they may be the only two. I don't know if I. I'm working on it though. Hey, listen, listen. 
at least at least you you leading the charge bro so we go. uh we got a little we got a little black history fact for y'all the first and the youngest the youngest should i say uh to ever be in the um the what's uh, the smith group to ever yeah. be in that i mean that's something that right. needs to, to be, be touted and recognized wow. yeah. yeah yeah so that's dope man that's huge um and of course quattro um just blew me out when you said that um he said i don't think i'm gonna go to mit yet i remember growing up i dreamed i that was one of my dreams i wanted to go to mit and i realized as i as i matriculated tr through through high school i was like yeah mit is a not for me right now like it ain't happening <laughs> so that's beautiful to see that um he had such great options and i remember you know what people don't know and i'll let the world know is i've known you since 2004 right you got yeah. to know me a little later right yeah. um yeah. but it, it like it's been amazing to see one your heart and the way you you really share yourself your knowledge and your honor for those that have come before you in such a powerful way so yeah like that's this, this is why it's such an honor because man i've seen you serve like from the depths of your soul. Like I memorized for the world. I said poet, right? I memorized some of your poetry um, that when you went up on stage, I was in the audience just spitting like lines. I didn't memorize the entire thing, but I'll spit in lines right. real quick. This, this look right here, the shirt and the hat is an honor of one of your pieces actually. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, Superman. Yeah. No sick days. That's no sick right. Days. Yes, sir. That's right. So, um, and yeah, so I was like, I, I wanted to, that was like a quiet nod to you, right? And I wanted to make sure I did that. But your your pieces, man, have been, I mean, just so, so deep. And I'm, I'm going to get into them. But of course, this is music and nostalgia. So I want to go visit a song uh, that we've talked, uh, you and I talked about. Um, but the reason for it is uh, in the this year alone, um since january publicly uh public uh uh individuals have passed away due to suicide um and it's been really unfortunate because i didn't know that there was actually an issue growing up i thought it was you know an other type of situation it wasn't something you saw in the black community at a high level uh, because I was not educated to that. And because of the narrative that growing up, I heard, of, of course, there's there's a double-edged narrative for me growing up in Nigeria and then coming here to the States as well. So the narrative is that, you know, my, my I have broken lines when it comes to those conversations. Um, but I got to, I got to learn about, about uh, the, the issue and the, the crisis, should I say, of, of suicide in the black community over the years. Um, and what I'm most proud of is that there are open conversations about this, because if you can't address it, you can't address it. And um, we talked about, let's go to the song that, um, of course, we can't play it because of, you know, rights. <laughs> but we're talking about, you mentioned a song, like in, in, in five seconds of us talking about you hopping on the show, you're like, man, I could hit that biggie suicidal thoughts. And I was like... Yeah. I, you know, I'd heard the song, but I never equated the message. And for the era the music came out, that was far outside of the norm, right? And so 
let's let's go there like let's talk what what one why is that song something that connects to you um on any and several levels well you know to give some of my history when i was you know like many um like many people right and we yeah. always say oh, like a lot of black kids no like many kids in general i've worked with every culture every community yeah all kids all groups all cultures have challenges with parenting yeah and the more stress you add to any group or culture that just adds more pressure you know what i mean right. um so it's a lot of kids out here that either don't have their father physically or don't have um their father emotionally so even if they're in the same house they don't have their dad i gotta say this um because i was separated from my father at one and mm. i don't want people to take that and um use that as uh, to confirm their bias against black fathers black fathers are dope um and a lot of people like to quote uh, studies a study that um talked about you know black fathers aren't in the home aren't in the home that study was about marriage so when it comes mm -hmm. to marriage we we definitely you know marry a lot less and things of that nature but when it the cdc actually did a study several years later on being active in parenting and black fathers were number one more active than the other groups when it came to parenting um right. they did white and hispanic um we and they define that by bath time by reading and mm -hmm. by eating meals together right. and the black fathers on two of those was ranked the higher than even the other um fathers in that particular study um, that's major and, and you know ranked second when it came to reading to their children so we are actually the most active fathers according and to i see that yeah. yeah so i just want to be really clear about that right absolutely i got to be careful about the different tropes out there you know absolutely yeah and so um i was separated from my dad at one my mother died by suicide when i was two i'm from the west side of chicago born in 78 so i was coming of age in the late 80s early 90s in chicago yeah um, and that's the height of the crack epidemic in all major cities and as a black man growing up on the block in the middle of the hood you know in um you know ghost town right outside of holy city and you know all these different um you know chicago's one of the gang capitals of the nation right, right. um chicago and la and you know just growing up in the midst of it in the heart of it and you know going through those challenges and seeing what's up as a matter of fact i believe that black folks um we don't get recognized as urban veterans mm. and those I'll of talk us, about that what, those what? of us that's at my age um you know 43 right now going on 44 that grew up in the midst of the crack epidemic as black folk yeah that is going that era is going to go down in history as one of the most devastating eras for the black community in the midst of Reaganomics and things of that nature. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And we never get recognized for it. We never get, like, we should really be honored for just surviving that. And yeah. all the people that bled out in the streets and watching elders that we honor, respected, you know, the mother in the church, 
one day and three weeks later, she's cracked out on the block. And this is when we treated drug addiction like uh, because they saw it as a as a black, as a Hispanic, as a poverty thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was treated like just criminals. It was just super criminalized and something's wrong with you and get your life together. And it was a war on drugs as opposed to the war on health issues. So now, and once um, the opioid epidemic began, it that really enveloped the white community for different reasons, right? right. So, Everything is connected to everything. People always want to have conversations in a bubble and nothing's in a bubble. Everything connects to everything is if you're not having a, a synthesized conversation, then you're actually not trying to figure it out or come up with a solution. And so when it and I know I'm just going off on a tangent right now, but oh, yeah, no, no, please, please. I, I'm learning a lot, too. And I know others will be as well. OK, OK. And when it comes to that opioid epidemic, you know, there's a phenomenal book called um, Medical Apartheid, and it talks about the uh, medical oppression um, of Black folks in the healthcare industry and how we were experimenting on. It goes well beyond the Tuskegee experiment. Um, black women were experimenting on so horrifically and horrendously when it came to gyne uh, gynecological different things um, and those breakthroughs. So many of the breakthroughs that's keeping the world alive yeah. came at the distress of Black people being used. And one of those ideas and one of those things that still exists is the idea that black people don't feel pain like white people feel like we have a yeah. natural higher tolerance for pain which is bullshit and it causes us to hurt longer but in this situation with the opioids because they were believing that we didn't feel pain at that level they didn't prescribe us opioids at the level they prescribed white folk so white folk got major opioid um, you know, prescriptions and things of that nature that cause that community to balloon with um, addiction. Gotcha. The opioids. And right. when those prescriptions aren't available, then you go to the illegal prescriptions. So now you got a heroin, um, you know, burst, right? O um, illegal opioid use just really, really balloon. And it ate that community up. And as it ate that community, and continues to be a struggle every the perspective on drug addif addiction shifted to these aren't criminals because it's my kid it's my daughter it's gotcha my yeah yeah my wife there are criminals this is a health issue this is a health issue so they're being dealt with differently and they're being dealt with way more compassion than we were dealt with during the crack epidemic. And this is why there's a blind, the blind spot of America is racism. And it's not even about let's, he, um, let's uh, make up for the wrongs. It ain't even gotta be that deep. Oh, let's make sure black people feel better. It ain't even gotta be that deep. As a country, we're not living to our potential because of this dumb shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because anything that happens in a black community eventually matriculates, right? To right. the white community. 
Absolutely. Nothing happens in a bubble. You know what I mean? I don't care how you feel about black people. Somebody in your family loves us. Our culture is your culture because our culture is 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 dope. We are the season to your meal. So yeah. you can only go so long without us, without without absorbing us. It's like a it's like a racist that's complaining about immigration, but they're going out to get tacos. You know what I mean? They want <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Say say that one again because <laughs> it. It sounds so simple and comedic, but there's so much depth to that. I want it to be heard again. It's so it's so ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's like the racist that got a problem. Immigration and ah, stay where you are, all this kind of stuff. But they're doing it as they go out to get tacos and burritos. They hate the we have a tendency of hating the people, but loving the culture. We love what you do, but we don't we want what you do, but we don't want you. Right? So, so it's it's taking the comfortable piece of a people and translating it into the only aspect that's worthy and then erasing the value and everything else. That's basically what you just said there. I don't, I don't, I don't want any of the extra. It is the cultural equivalent of the Stetford wife, right? That's the gender, you know what I mean? That's the gender equivalent of what I'm saying. I just want my wife to be pretty, do what I say and shut up. I want all the benefits, but I don't want the complexities of another human being. I don't want to recognize a level of equality where I could be complicated and have emotions and have demands for my life. Um, you can't too. Oh, there's only room for one person to be that important in this relation, right? The step for wife It's the same thing. It's the same, the same exact thing. And the reason I brought that up to kind of, you know, um, take it back is that if America would have dealt with the black community with more compassion yeah. in the crack epidemic, with the Latino community with more compassion in the crack epidemic, if they decided to look at us and say, we're we're not criminals we're there's it's, it's sick and in using these drugs maybe i'm self-medicating for depression for unresolved uh mental health undiagnosements for everything from schizophrenia every black person in america if i had to have a common word it'd be trauma Ooh. our existence here is trauma you know what i mean we're the what would you say of the children of the children of the children of people who were kidnapped. Yeah. So would you say that song, uh, Suicidal Thoughts, is as it feels like it's a result of that trauma? Do you do you think that it was him trying all, to narrate? I think all unhealthy um, urban challenges are a result of trauma. You know what I mean? Our yeah. result of a ridiculous trauma, right? Yeah. So if they would have addressed the crack epidemic, there would already been a system in place to address drug health challenges. So by the time the opioid challenge hit the white community, the system was already been there to help gotcha. save lives. Yeah, yeah. To help save lives. But they had to build the system out. So, so many of our white brothers and sisters who were struggling died or were arrested or these different things all because 
it wasn't important until it got there. Gotcha. Gotcha. It could have saved white lives by loving black lives. Oh, that's a poignant statement right you know what there. I'm so I bring that up to accent the intensity of this time period, late 80s, early 90s. And right. during this time, the hood was real. It was going down. It was very violent, very aggressive and gangster. You know what I mean? We had, thank God, a diversity in hip hop. Right. Yeah. So if I wanted to be on some just thoughtful, right, revolutionary stuff, I have for our public enemy and X clan and, um, you know, different different groups that was on that. Um, if I wanted to be on the Jungle Brothers, right? If I wanted to be just on some nerd backpack stuff. Yeah. Like I, had, I had my backpack rap, you know what I mean? I had, mm -hmm. I, we had the dance and just fun rap. We never mentioned them. I don't know why they don't get nearly as much props because they were so important. The Kid and Plays, the um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Heavy D, and so many of these uh, rappers that brought just joy to the table. Yeah, you yeah. Know, give me an excuse. Let me just laugh, man. Let me just have a good time. Let me be happy, right? So let me music that we could play. The church kids could play. Those right. that was raised in the church because we couldn't play NWA. That's oh yeah, yeah, Brand yeah. Would have knocked my head off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had to, man. I had to play it on volume three. You know, when I, it, to the you know, radio, right? You didn't have the Beats headphones back then, so nah. No beats. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that hurt your ear, plastic, you know? But that song came out and, and you know, we was going hard with games. I was really into the hardcore stuff. Um, Ghetto Boys was like my favorite group, Scarface, and all this yeah. other stuff. So you got this hardcore brother, Notorious Big, B.I.G., Christopher Wallace killing it. That whole album just Stupid, just yeah. stupid from warning to all of this stuff right on his album. And then he got vulnerable. And that's mm -hmm. why that song was so important because nobody in the black community was talking about um, the depression of that lifestyle. Yeah. The, 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 how it breaks you. Scarface, I would argue, would be the first one that really talked about that emotional piece. Right. Of, of that lifestyle. But when Biggie did it, it was very focused very end now, i've been dealing with suicidal challenges my whole life i always knew my mother died by suicide so mm -hmm. you know when you have a parent that dies by suicide it triples your um chances of dying by suicide that's if it happened before you were 18. after 18 it doesn't seem to have an effect it doesn't increase those um those chances but under 18 triples the chances that you would die by suicide as well so that's just always been a, a struggle for me from self-harm and things like that. And we that often shows itself in us putting ourselves in dangerous situations because traditional suicide was fairly taboo. Um, right. But my mother was a, a amazing, strong, beautiful ex-model. She was she modeled. She was an actress. She had a black belt. She was a Buddhist. You know, I was born to two Buddhists, two Black Panther Buddhists. You know wow. what I mean? So there's Black Panthers, they were Buddhists, they, you know, really outside successful, you know, and it was 1980 and she she died by, by suicide, but she died even by suicide in a way that was against all statistics, all stereotypes, you know what I mean? Being Black, being mm -hmm. a woman, it's 1980 
and by gun in a public place. Like it was a very intense, it wasn't like somebody found her at home. She sat at the foot of a, of a statue in front of the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. And um, on Sunday, August 10th, 1980 at about 9 a.m. Um, in a park, she, um, she, you know, shot herself in the head. You know what I mean? Which is not how um, the traditional way women often die by suicide. You know what I mean? It's usually not that aggressive right. to, to be considered a more masculine way. So all of this, I'm dealing with all of this. And then finally, and at the time I'm 14, 15. So I got, I got at least a foot into the street. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Was never as ill as so many of my people, but in Chicago, you gang affiliated where you a gang member or not, you know what I mean? Right, so right. Everybody got a little something foot in the street so I had some a foot in the street and Biggie was just represented when he talked about it man it gave me permission to feel it it made it okay it it did it up to that point I questioned my own masculinity and toughness for feeling these ways because that's a punk that's a chump you know duh, 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 duh. so when he said it it made feeling that way okay feeling that way did not emasculate me feeling that way did uh, it, it was a confirmation and yeah. one of the biggest mistake is people think that the more you talk about it if you talk about it and make people want to do it no let me get it out through language or i'm gonna get it out through action so yeah. pick one yeah either have gonna have an uncomfortable conversation or you're gonna have an uncomfortable funeral to go to so, so how how is how is that aspect of it having the conversation around the subject of suicide how did that because of of course you're a wordsmith so i i have a feeling that your poetry played a part in how you handled um suicidal thoughts and feelings but how before you got into poetry because i i know you didn't start from from like diaper age right, right. but like how did you create or, or how what environments you know like what people i know you talk about your sister all the time um, but like, what are some elements of how you were able to support yourself and get support so that along the way, while you were still trying to figure out what was going on, right. while you were uncertain about what stages were there, what you were going through, yeah. what were those guidance steps? Because you're here with us and brother, like always appreciate the wealth of knowledge that you share and the, and the sincerity in which you share with. So I want those out there to be able to hear this and think, oh, these are some significant things to think about, whether it's hearing it or letting it out. Without a doubt, without a doubt. No, thank you for that. Um, so what are some things that helped me carry through before I started to write poetry? I started writing poetry at 14. Yeah. Um, I grew up with my granny and my aunt, um, my aunt, my primary caregiver, and then my granny as a supplement. So I was never a latchkey kid. Granny was always home, yeah. kind of thing. Um, so I was heavy into the church. My auntie was the um, Sunday school teacher. So I was kind. Of, I was in church every day. We lived literally across the street from Greater Rock Missionary Baptist Church, 700 South Independence Boulevard. Mm -hmm. Before these James Pastor, right? You know what I mean. You got to learn this stuff. <laughs> so I'm literally across the street. So. Thank God for the friendships, the relationships, and growing up in yeah. the hood with so many other kids. That's the thing about being in a dense community. We always talk about the super negatives of the hood, and there are 
super negatives intentionally, right? That was put there to keep us in a mental space um, so that very few can get out of that, that, that place. And it's just very reinforcing, even if you look at different behavioral models um, and environment and things of, of that nature, it is very systemic, right? It is very purposeful. But anyway, you know, the good stuff on the block is always playing with other kids, right? Yeah. Always having kind of this availability and the church was always taking us on trips. So there was joy in my childhood as well. Right. But at night when the lights go out, eyes closed, it was the demons. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So um, young, I didn't know how to cope. You know, um, suicide and self-harm had been uh, an option since I was about five. So this is how early. So I've been having existential crises, <laughs> you know, starting at four, five years old, right? Because they never lied to me, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. And um, my big sister and my big brother, uh, my sister, my brother was 10 years older than me, my brother Earl, my sister Rakia was about 11 um, or so years older than me. So I was the baby by far. Ah. So now I'm the, I'm the baby. And when you're that far as the baby, you almost feel like an only child sometime. And I don't have mom or dad, but I got sister and brother. So mm -hmm. I pretty much got some teenage parents that's trying to help guide me through a household that was loved me. My aunt loved me. Like we just, we got families back, but not emotional. Mm. Right? Not affectionate. Not with the I loved you's and hugs and all of that. All right. My sister made up for a lot of that. But that was tough. She she was also figuring life out. You know, I had a child early. Um, my beautiful niece had her as a teenager um, and handled her business with that. But she had to go figure her life out. So right, right. The time I was there. So as an overly emotional kid, I was, you know, just always being told I cry too much, cry baby. And it's the hood. And they're scared that I'm not going to be able to survive. So now um, it's almost like Fight Club. I'm fighting every day. They pit me against other cats in the neighborhood at some point. You know what I mean? Like it was mm. it was almost like a battleground. It was pretty rough. Um, but I digress. Music was something to dive into. Um, but it always wasn't healthy. I was trying to figure it out, man. And my anger, I was fighting all the time. My anger was intense. Um, wanting to hurt myself, hurting myself, whether it be cutting or or, or fire, playing with fire, mm. or playing with razors, or just didn't feel like I deserved to to be around, man. Big old glasses, ears out to here, you know what I mean? You know, being clowned a lot, and just the regular stuff you go through growing up, you know, when you have these issues, it magnifies stuff that's just normal. Right, and I, and I was- Don't like me, I'm not attractive, I'm not, and then take that and throw a hundred on it, right? It makes it even worse. So. I'm not really sure, you know, um, I got, you know, grace of God, my thoughtful mind, you know, I would randomly order different kind of academic stuff. I read a lot. Everybody in my house were readers. Right. Oh, house. that's All dope. Uncles lived with us too. It was like four or five uncles at any get. It was granny's house. So you never knew who was going to be sleeping there that night. Yeah. My cousin to be there. And now we got to just sleep in the same bed and go head to toe. You know what I mean? My uncles always stayed there. My uncle Sonny was the one that introduced me to poetry. He used to come home and he used to come home lit, you know, um, drunk and whatever else he was doing and recite Edgar Allan Poe and Dolomite to me at night, you know, and that's, I'm eight years old, you know, and he reciting Rudy Ray Moore and The Raven 
to me. And that's how I got into poetry in the first place. But you know, it's funny you say that uh, as you were saying that I always wondered how Edgar Allan Poe, because I remember there was a, a piece you wrote and then you said it was fashioned with the inspiration of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, yeah. And I, and I remember you saying that I was like, huh, what, you know, cause I heard El Edgar Allan Poe. I read some of his stuff and I was never like, Ooh, this inspired a thought. Yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. great to learn that that's how um, the introduction was. My uncle Sonny, man, my uncle Sonny, my mother was the eldest, uh, my family from Mississippi. And okay. um, when my granny had two, just um, my mom and my uncle Sonny, um, her parents, her dad got into it. He was sharecropping and um, he got into it with a local white man in Mississippi. Mm. The white man said he was going to come back and kill his family. Wow. So my great grandfather just shot him right then. You don't get to leave and come back, right? That was one of the rules I learned. You don't get to leave and come back. So he shot him right then, but he also knew we got to go. And they hopped up and they hopped in a pickup truck and that's how we moved to Chicago. Um, wow. with, my, with my mom and my uncle Sonny is very small children. That's how we got to the West side. And, and so my uncle Sonny was the next old, oldest and maybe he felt the need, you know, since mom wasn't there, I don't know, but he loved Edgar Allan Poe. He loved Edgar Allan Poe and Rudy Ray Moore. He said he used to pay the, the winos on the, on the corner a quarter for them to tell him one of the, you know, Hurricane Annie and the Pooh Shoe Monkey and Signifying Monkey and all these different Rudy Ray Moore joints. But he would go through the Raven and Annabelle Lee, those specifically, mm -hmm. the Raven. And Annabelle Lee, and just the way he spit it, he has so much passion, bro. Like he would, and he knew him by memory. Now he's drunk, he's high, he's gone. He's yeah. coming home leaning. And hey, um, tell me that poem. Oh boy, let me tell you. And he go into it, man. And once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, as I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor I mutter rapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. And the rhyme scheme of the rhyme and the rhyme, and then another rhyme, and then a rhyme and a rhyme, and another rhyme that rhyme with that rhyme. And like just the breakdown, it was so, you know what I mean? Just so yeah. magical. And he would stop like, did you hear that? Did you hear how it rhymed? He made me analyze it from a critical perspective and fall in love early on. And it's the birth of hip hop. So this is going on. My brother got LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys on vinyl in the other room. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm growing up loving rhyme scheme. You know what I'm saying? I distinctly remember it was in the bleak December and each separate dying ember wrought his ghost upon the floor. So eagerly I wished tomorrow, so vainly I sought to borrow from my books a cease of sorrow, sorrow for the loss of Lenore, for the rare radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless hid forevermore and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before so that to steal the beating of my heart i stood repeating tis some visitor entreating entrance in my chamber door some late night visitor entreating entrance in my chamber door only this and nothing right it goes from classic to hip-hop to rock 
I'm a fan. I'm a fan, and it is what it is. I is brilliant. I'm loving it. I, I this is super yeah. dope, like super dope. <laughs> so I, I, you know what? I gotta, I gotta talk about some of your stuff now because you've opened the door to poetry. And um, man, my first time meeting you, right? I might have walked past you. So okay, before I go into that, we're business partners. We've been, you know, uh, we've been in the same business. I know for me since 2004 you've been a couple of years prior to that i, I don't remember what one, year one year mm-hmm. so when i got involved in our in our company and you know, we can say it legal shield right um when i got involved i was still in college and i'd never been a part of something like this and i remember going everybody saying you got to go to our our event you got to go to the conference and i was thinking eh, i don't know it's not really that big a deal i'll go to the next one but then they said hey it's in new orleans and i was thinking yo one of my high school friend goes to school out there and i know he'll be there through the summer so i could go kick it with him for a meal or something right and then we get to the event and i hear you got to go to uh the open mic because it wasn't it wasn't the penthouse poetry set at the time it was just yeah and so I was like, okay, cool, sure. Like, there's a party, and I love to dance, or there's open mic. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to pop through and see what they're doing at that open mic. And before the event happened, you were on stage with your boys. And this is when I think Mr. Humes was on oh, stage with yeah. you Oh, yeah, we just watched that video. Oh, man. Seven times seven. And immediately, I was like, yo, what's going on here? Because it was magical. All of you guys were in, in these uh, monk-like hooded hoods. And I mean, it was perfect. The the delivery, the tempo, the vibe, everything was so, uh, oh, so authentic. It felt real. It didn't feel like a put on. You know, sometimes they just like bring some kind of entertainment to events to kind of liven it up. This yeah. felt so core to who we were. And that's when I knew that, okay, I knew I love TNV, but I am TNV. Like, in the veins right. like that's right then that's where i met you right and and I, I hadn't i didn't know how long i'd be following you i didn't know who you'd be and i remember seeing you after the event after you'd gotten off stage and i was like wow i you know i'm bowing and you're just like thanks back man and that was it and it was and i was like what he's not even giving me like i need more and i realized that okay i'm just gonna have to stick around to get to know what this culture was about, right? To learn more about this team, and uh, you you were like you did you did a team live two lives for the team where we could tell you were like the historian because you dug into the journey of Team New Vision, how we existed in the birthing and all of that, and the present and also the future in your talk. But I say all of that because I want to get to your poetry penthouse because at that is when I met. I really got to. Uh, sit at your feet and study right and you weren't even holding class but i was in the room to to absorb what you were shelling out and there's several poems that you've done uh there's there's uh all or nothing there's the one you did on stage and i'm i'm losing the title right now but it's like still will don't oh gosh still will don't break undefeated yeah 
undefeated. And I mean, so every piece that I'd ever heard from you just spoke to different parts of me. And like music, poetry, uh, I really lives on because no matter the generation, if it's if it's a well-written piece, it speaks to different stages or different phases of our lives because it, you know, it matters. And so for you, for your work, like I, I have so many, I could be like, oh, please, I want to hear this one. One of my favorites, aside from uh, from uh, the Superman one is the um, the math, the arithmetic, arith oh, yeah, yeah. Mathematically, mathematically speaking, right? Yeah. But you have works that really touch on different phases of, of hip hop. Um, how did you evolve into that person that was writing this type of this type of work? Like, yeah, what, yeah. you know, because you could have been writing corny stuff just to get through the day, yeah. but like yeah, yeah. the depth. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have. I'm sure I got some corny stuff. That you <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just haven't given it to us. It's all good. I'm sure, I'm sure I got some corny stuff. That you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you do it all, man. Um, well, as you heard, right, I struggled. I was always struggling young, trying to figure it out, trying to figure yeah. myself out. And um, poetry became that, um, that that outlet. And in for, when I turned 14 in eighth grade, that's why I'm celebrating 30 years as a poet next month. Um, 30 years, yeah. So at that point, that's when I started writing and it was awesome. And honestly, it started off with writing a love poem for Valentine and um, it went well. You know, uh, the girls in eighth grade class enjoyed it. I was like, I guess I found my thing, you know? So, <laughs> I played sports, but more street sports and I wasn't, you know, wasn't the best, right? Yeah. I wasn't picked last, but I wasn't picked first, you know, usually, right? And so I did okay in these different areas, but poetry was something that was very unique to me. So that is something I put out there. If you, you have a young person or anybody that's struggling um, to find self-worth, help them find a thing for them, a thing that yeah. feels special to them and nurture it no matter what it is, whether they can make a million dollars at it or whatever, that would help anchor them to this world. Right. So yeah. this anchored me to the world. And so I was just writing love poems at first, but the more you write, the more your true feelings come out. And eventually I started writing just that real stuff, what I was seeing. And you know, I'm man, I, I'm trying to figure it out. I remember when I was a kid, I saw that someone defined a, a philosopher as a seeker of truth. And I said, that's what I want to be, a philosopher. I want to be a seeker of truth. I just want to get to the, because I've been asking these questions for so long that, all right, let's deal with the truth and the reality so we can get to what's real in this world, you know? And so I started to talk that realness. And at the time it was very, very dark, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, but I think there's beauty and darkness, unlike some folk, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So darkness don't, but I'm I'm born from Edgar Allan Poe. You know what I mean? I'm a combination of Edgar Allan Poe and Langston Hughes and Gwendolyn Brooks, you know, and um, the different amazing black artists. So now that's combined with the struggles of the block. And, you know, people started calling me and asking me to recite the poem they heard at school to their cousin or to their friend. And that's, wow. you know, I'm, I'm saying them over, and this is back in the day with the home phone, with the long cord, and they, they we just got three-way. Three-way just came out. Call waiting in three-way, you have to pay extra. Yeah, yeah. You clicking over and then, you know, I'm telling poem to strangers and some of those poems, I was saying them so much 
Next thing I know, I kind of had them kind of memorized. Yeah. Right? And then I'm walking down the street and in the neighborhood. And then you know how it is in a black community. They be like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. My baby could dance. Hold on, give him something. Go ahead, dance. Hold yeah, on. yeah. My baby could sing. Go ahead. Go. Like, you know, we, we love to encourage the art in our young people and yeah. we put each other on the stage in front. you can't be scared go ahead like they force you out of that stage fright kind of thing True. so that's what would happen with the poetry and next thing you know i'm walking down the street and the dope dealers and the hardcore gang bangers you know what i mean yeah. everybody sold a little something everybody gang banged a little bit but you had the hardcore cats that mm -hmm. was living it and they hey harold come on man hey give me some of that knowledge fam like man yo, yo shut up man boom like they nurtured it, man. I so I grew up spitting for the the block, for the killers, for the dope dealers, for the cats in the struggle, for the cats trying to figure it out in the alleys and on the corners. Mm -hmm. That's where I was raised with the poetry. And you can't come to them with no garbage. You got to sure. go hunted. And what they kept saying, and it wasn't when I got out. The fellas teased me about the love joints at first. You know what I mean? They yeah. teased me, but they was like, "Yo, man, that was cold. Can I?" Can I use that though? Like, <laughs> yeah, man, go ahead. Hey, man, I'm gonna call you with this girl. I'm gonna tell her that this is how I feel. I need you to spit it for me though. Okay, whatever. Like, I got you, right? So I was that dude. And, um, but when I flipped over into that dark stuff about not wanting to be alive, not wanting to be here, about not wanting to wake up, like not knowing why I'm in this situation, how the hood is terrifying, but I gotta step up. I, I can't even allow myself to be terrified because I gotta step up and out of it and I gotta be able to survive it. And now I gotta cut off different parts of myself emotionally. Remember I was the crybaby, so I gotta cut this stuff off. I gotta become somebody I'm not just because how else am I gonna push through this? And at the same time, dealing with the, the pressure of the whole country calling me you know whatever it is right so mm -hmm. as i'm writing about this the brothers was loving it and next thing i know man i got brothers like you know hey come sit on the porch with me and spit and it was and what i kept hearing is that's exactly how i feel bro you said I'm thinking every night bro you said that and that's when i realized i had a responsibility and i had uh uh, maybe a gift, maybe a talent, because I just didn't hear about a lot of people having it. It's hard to call something a gift and a talent when it's something you love to do and you may even do naturally. And right. Like, well, I'm not working that hard. It can't be that, but that's probably what makes it a gift, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a gift for taking emotions and ideas and being transparent about it, because so many people are scared to admit when they hurt, their pain, their yeah things, and being able to communicate it in such a way. Um, where I can speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Right. You know, you know, that statement right there, because uh, one thing, one of the advantages I've had is I've had conversations with you over the years. Um, and one thing that I've heard from you on stage and one-on-one -on -one is that uh, one of your, your characteristics is that you're an empath. Mm -hmm. So you get to walk in a room and automatically you're downloading what's what the feel of the room is that um i heard it somewhere that our strengths and our weaknesses lie side by side right like because one one edge of the sword is cutting this way but it's also cutting in the other direction um what are some of the what are some of the challenges that that has uh 
brought to you being that you walk in a room and now this responsibility of making sure you're fostering the words that will uplift or encourage or enlighten because you know sometimes you don't you don't want to always brush the 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 uh the uh, reality aside you want to address it face it head on so how does that you know how was that something that you had to overcome or deal with or even learn from Damn, you know still figuring it out right um mm -hmm. you know you have imposter syndrome that that goes in like who am i who am i to recognize why is my story important who do i think i am yeah anybody would even want to hear my story mm -hmm. i'm writing my memoir right now excuse uh, let's me be fire and thank you and it's the whole journey and writing a book in that in that sense not a something that's um just a lot of poems right a lot of short writings but one long project mm -hmm. throughout it man you know why me don't nobody want to hear my story. Who do I think I am? This is arrogant. This is really arrogant to think that somebody wants to read about my life. Yeah. So getting hit with those different pieces when it comes to um, holding my own emotions is a struggle sometimes, let alone other people's. And that responsibility, what if I'm not doing it well? What if I'm not doing it right? Um, what if I disappoint by being honest? Because you know, people, they put you in a box, even if they think it's a shiny one, it's still a box. Even if the box is made out of gold, it's still a box. Yeah. Saying I don't want to sell at all. Um, I don't want to be in prison at all, even if it's a, a palace. I want to be able to leave, you know. Mm -hmm. You people would say, oh, man, you know, you spit a poem, let's say about, you know, it's Black History Month, about the movement and things of that nature, which is absolutely you but then you spit a piece that's about your personal struggle and mental health the same people may not be interested in hearing that one no 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 tell me this one. Oh well love poem i don't man that's not real love ain't real love mm. what we find what why are we fighting the the battle the revolution the war if we don't have love waiting for us on the other side yeah what's the point what's yeah. the point we lose that right so or something fun right so all those pressures come up and when it comes to being an empath um and feeling other people i mean that may very well just be a result of hyper awareness of me being able to read you know the different eye shifts and the different uh, micro um gestures and hearing the voices and watching the body language and i don't even realize i'm my unconscious is processing all this information and causing me instead of giving me the data the raw data yeah giving me the printout which mm -hmm. is they need support or they need help or and i don't even know the data that caused it because it's in the unconscious so all i could call it is being an empath you know yeah empathic, right um but Sometimes, especially if you channel challenge with a mental health diagnosis, um, like you know, I've been diagnosed with a, a few. <laughs> it's overstimulation. Yeah, it's exhausting. And mm -hmm. everybody that's good in front of a crowd isn't an extrovert. And so sure. you have a lot of introverts that's good in front of the crowd or good with. Just because I'm good with people, don't mean it doesn't drain me. So right. after every open mic, you see me laid on the stage. Like I'm done. I'm gone. I've 
spent it all and the next day I don't want to do anything but recover like I literally have to recover from that much reading and that much um attention and, and that much serving like you said just taking care of the people and serving and things I'm an old school I'm protocol you know I'm yeah like, yeah yeah take care of the old head and you do these different things different ways you know i blame my brother i was raised by my men by yeah men in a chicago gang culture that has etiquette right right and we have ranks and we got behaviors and you behave accordingly right um so that is one of those um that that is definitely one of one of the challenges um, and sometimes I got to pull away. Sometimes I got to disappear unapologetically. And the older I get, the more I'm okay with it. Or yeah. else I take on so much, I go home and be depressed behind it, right? I go yeah. home and feel some kind of way behind it. But when we met and I was hosting, I had already been hosting for years. You know Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. Um, which, mm -hmm. which, you know, just from how you've you've described and exp expressed just everything that you have it takes me to the quiet nod right um of unplugged that was that the title of that poem the superman oh, poem the superman oh yeah no, no sick days sick days okay. yes i you know please me for not remembering the titles correctly i feel like i <laughs> yeah, you're right i forget my titles sometimes <laughs> Well, because something that you've just mentioned here really touches on the fact that we uh, we don't allow ourselves to unplug the moment like we're crossing the barrier of our yeah. mental wellness. Yeah. Uh, that piece, and I know this is just a conversation between friends, so the outsiders that are listening in, I hope there's a way for them to to find your content because I really want them to hear, but um, who it's such a good piece that I really, I want people to absorb it. Like they listen to music. So they know just, I mean, all your pieces that I've heard are just dynamic, whether on the CD or, or, or um, on stage, you know, they ju you. just really speak to different phases of our lives, you know? Thank you. Thank you. You know, I appreciate that. And, you know, and, and that's really the purpose, you know, I, as I grown in my, my art and been blessed to perform with so many people in so many places, you know, from South Africa and Gandhi's granddaughter to, you know, sharing a stage with Dick Gregory, you know, and Gladys Knight and going on tour with the Goo Goo Dolls and Sugar Ray, like the first poets to go on a national platinum rock tour, like these black poets talking revolution. Yeah. With the Google Dolls, right? You know, yeah. to that audience traveling from Cali to New York to um, Woodstock 99, the Winter Olympics, you know, um, Sundance Film Festival with moms, you know, the poet who passed away and the last poets and the watch poets and um, the watch prophets and Gil Scott Heron and being able to share the stage with the people my father honored as poets and writers to get that generation's respect and really really pay homage um to the griots you know what mm -hmm. i mean um as you know all this come from from the mother from africa from the motherland this is written in our bones yeah you know, if, if we're willing to, to to learn the language you know emotion learn the emotional language yeah you know, of our people right so being able to do that i feel a responsibility and i feel 
um, that my responsibility is solely to be honest. That's it. Any more responsibility you put too much on me and it's not mine. Mm -hmm. um, I just need to be honest. And some people will flow with me through one phase of my journey and not really dig me on another phase. Just like with a musician, you man, them first, you know, early, to, I'm an early Tupac fan. Yeah. I'm way more of a fan of his pre-death role than post-death role. Mm -hmm. That's just me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and everyone has that, even with the artists, you know, in their journey, what part of that journey connect with you? And sometimes you get an artist, you connect with them through their whole journey. So I'm okay if I'm not connected with through my entire career, um, long as I'm being honest. Right, right. As long absolutely. As I'm being honest and true to me. Yeah. You know, others, uh, uh, others will, you know, absolutely respect that. But I bleed on on stage and I bleed. I bleed on stage so people can heal in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. I cut my wounds open every time. Every time I read another a poem I wrote, I go back to that moment. I know where I was when I wrote it. I feel the tears in my eyes when I did it. So I'm constantly reliving certain trauma so that others can hear it and not feel alone. That oh. shit is heavy, bro. Hold up, hold up, you know, hold up, hold up, hold up. Wait, okay. hold, hold up, wait a minute. You said you relive, uh, you relive these moments, so others can what? Others can heal. Man, you know they're not alone, and I do it, and it's it's self inflicted pain and agony a lot of the times. Sometimes I'm reciting and I still find tears in my eyes for something I wrote 20 years ago. And I'm doing it because I wish somebody did it for me. Oh. And I remember somebody coming to our school and talking and I connected to it. That one person at one time, the most dangerous emotion is loneliness. Tell me about that. What, 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 why is that? And that's, that's a personal opinion because when you feel like you're alone, then there is no outlet. We're, we're a social people. We have yeah. to feel connected. So when you're, when you feel alone and even worse, when you're surrounded by people, but feel alone, when you're yeah. room crowded and you still feel alone, you still feel misunderstood. And it's easy to feel like something's wrong with you. If yeah. you think you're the only one and if something's wrong with you, then maybe you don't fit here. And if you don't fit here, maybe this world wasn't made for you. And mm. if this world wasn't made for you, it's not going to get any better. And if it's not going to get any better, why am I wasting this space? Wow. So it starts that whole journey. So I'm willing to do it over and over and over again. And just when you want to stop doing it, somebody come and tell you, hey, I almost gave up. You spoke for me. You know what? I was. I've had people come and say they was going to go home that day. They had already wrote the letter, like it was a wrap, and they didn't do it. Like, and these are, you know, this is when I went, went to speak out of high school, mm -hmm. and just told my story. It was just honest. You don't always have to have solutions. Sometimes you just have to be relatable. Yeah, that the relatability is the solution in and of itself. So that is, um, yeah. Wow, this is <laughs> so I, I'm I'm loving this opportunity to share with you because I've heard so many levels and parts of your story here. 
Um, but in relation to the podcast, I love how you really just pointed out here that every time you go back and do a piece, it takes you right back to where you are, where you were when you wrote it. Um, and of course, the title of the podcast is Music and Nostalgia. So that really just shows in framing that whatever our music is or the poetry is, it really does, it takes us back to a moment. And yes, while while you see, while you go back and revisit that cut as you just related it to, um, you're not bleeding out in the same rate, in the same way as you did when you first, first wrote it. If you're working through the process is basically what you, you're doing, like you're cutting yourself so others can heal. Yeah. Um, and in the process, you're also finding ways to heal better, I would imagine, correct? You know, yeah, there, there's definitely that. Being able to get it out is just really, really helpful. But that's always a dice roll. Mm. You know, because what if the crowd just look at you like, mm, then that makes it worse. <laughs> so mm. depending on where you are emotionally. Um, and I have had those moments where, I, you know, my poem about um, my mom's suicide and things like that called My Mother's Son and just how I, I also, like, I got that from mom and this is, how I'm feeling, I don't want to be here. I've recited that man to crowds and they just looked at me like something's wrong with me. You know mm. what I mean? And that that's um that's tough. And you gotta kind of work through that, especially when you're that that's the day. That's why people avoid being vulnerable. True. The more vulnerable you are, the higher your chances of being hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah, you're vulnerable. Your shields are down. So of course, you know. Even a rock is gonna hit you with your shields down. You're gonna feel it. And so it's, it's that's why people totally avoid it. You know, totally avoid being vulnerable. Um I can't avoid not being it. Yeah. Why not? Um because it's it's honest. Mm. It's honest, man. I lied for a long time. Um about who I really was and tried to be somebody else. Yeah. Until I realized I would rather, I'd rather fail at life as me than succeed as someone else. You Say know? that again. I would, I would rather fail at life in the traditional sense than succeed. I'd rather fail at life as me than succeed as someone else. I, I can't keep up with it. I can't yeah. keep up with being somebody else. I can't keep up with all the lies. I can't keep up with the fake. I can't. I don't. And people misuse the fake. Right. right? So if you be trying to be positive when you're actually feeling down, it'd be like you're being fake. No, I'm. I'm trying to engage the emotions that I want to feel. So I'm, yeah. I'm controlling myself. I'm not. Um. I'm multidimensional. So I get mm -hmm. to be many, many different things. What I don't get to do is lie about these categories. Yeah. Right? So when I'm on stage, I'm honest. If I'm gonna take up these people's time, I should be honest when I do it. Yeah. And I allow myself to go back and relive the agony because that's respect to the audience. But going back to relive the pain and do it fully, that respects the poem. Mm. 
it would be disrespectful to the poem if I half did it. If I half did it. So if I can't do it in full, then I don't want to, I'm not going to do that particular piece because it'd be dishonorable to the to the craft and yeah. to the art. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's um it's it's a lot, you know, and nobody got it totally figured out. We figure it out to the day and you know, no telling what tomorrow's gonna bring. You know what I mean? And then you just work it step by step, you know, and you do get more skills and more ability. And it wasn't just poetry, right? I've done yeah. therapy, I've done counseling, like I'm talking about for decades. Right, right. Off and on. You know what I'm saying? Trying to figure it out, having the depth of conversation with people who are smarter than me. I'm surrounded by people who love me, yeah. love me dearly. Like I'm surrounded by so much love, but that wasn't an accident. That wasn't an accident. Build good relationships, do right by folk, mm -hmm. be honorable, be 100. Everybody know, like if we got a challenge, let's address it, you know, whatever. And then people that don't fit my criteria for my circle, mm -hmm. and they don't get to be in my circle. And so being surrounded by love, but also being surrounded by people who are more advanced than me in different areas. Yeah. To each other, but it's just people that's just smart as hell. Yeah. I get to be around or they have more discipline or they mm -hmm. may not have the emotional fluctuations that I have. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Of experience because of ADHD, because of bipolar too, because of manic depressive, uh, majorly depressive disorder, right? Because of mm -hmm. these things, I know I can go and I have to be able to lean on um, others. Like you got to know when you tripping. True. You tripping. You know, and I'm when I think I may be tripping, I am never far from a brother or sister that could be like, am I bugging? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but that's necessary, the circle. That's that self-regulation. That's emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. I went in to get my, you know, I got my degree in communication. I went to get my master's in coaching psychology. I'm working on my doctorate in performance psychology. I want to understand not just me, but other people. And I put so much work in that I do fairly well understanding these things. And going to school is one way that I was like, man, let me continue to polish this off. But this shit don't happen on accident, bro. Like you really got to be hungry to know, understand and want the information. Yeah. So poetry and expressing is one part of it. Mm -hmm. that helps. It makes me feel good. Um, and honestly, the best feelings are in little small coffee houses with 20 people. Yeah. 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 It, it, so 12,000 when I performed at the MGM. Listen, I, I agree. Like that small, intimate setting now. Let's also recognize that you've had some bangers of events. Like, let's talk about uh, who home base, right? Like home base. I I dream. I used to dream of coming out to Phoenix just to be at home base at one of your events because if the small portion modicum of experience I got when we were wherever Vegas or, or Dallas or Oklahoma or wherever TNV went, I wanted that at the large scale. Yeah. So you've been able to, to, to foster 
that culture that you've talked about throughout, like the honor and the um, and the respect and cutting so that others can experience that pain that you, you know, and how to heal through that. So I've seen that at your events that we've done, which small is relative, right? Because it's still like 300 people in, in some of these op yeah. uh, open mic poetry penthouse events that you and uh, Mel Rob, let's, let's also throw that name out there, right? Um, so you guys mastered the art of really bringing people together and then getting so many levels, so many styles and personalities and honoring, right? all of the different personalities that came up on stage um i finally did a piece after years of attending your stuff right i finally did a piece um at our last event and my heart was just open uh, i was something that i was i was a little hesitant about sharing because you know it was around it was something i wrote last year around the idea of of uh of the brutal the police brutality that we were seeing in the media and everything like that so i was shy of bringing it out because i was like you know what if i'm i'm narrow in my vision but when i went up on stage your love on 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 really just encouraging me through that and everybody that was in the audience it was just powerful right um so how how is that something that you've done to encourage those that are that are also learning the craft and trying to cultivate themselves because uh, one of the things you brought a young man on stage that has been following has been working with you learning and crafting his work for years right and he came on there and killed it felt like he had been a port for like three decades with how strong he came with it how do you how do you how have you cultivated that but because we keep coming back we we keep coming back take care of the people yeah it's so simple yeah is energy people think the the focus should be on the talent it's not the focus is the energy of the room you can go and see the same your favorite artist musically in different cities and see different experiences yeah cities the, the the crowd is into it it's live the energy's crazy and it's the best thing in the world in some cities the, art, the crowd is dry as hell yeah different experience you know what mm -hmm. i mean the host didn't do their job and as a host my job is to tap into the emotions and create a loving welcoming environment home base the reason i named it home based poetry the poet's poetry set is mm -hmm. because i wanted real authentic passionate poets to feel like man this is it this is where i feel at home this is powerful but home base a lot of people reference it to baseball and it's not quite where that's from it's mm. when we were young and we were running around like mad men and, and women and girls and boys playing it and freeze tag and stuff like that yeah running when you're that young you remember running for your life i remember running through the street damn they getting hit by cars trying not to get tagged yeah yeah frozen frantic you're you're frantic anxiety like ah like you going crazy you finna hurt yourself bump into people walking down the street <laughs> and all of this frantic heart is beating you're terrified until you get your hand on what home base home safe base. and when you're at home base you're safe yeah i live in arizona arizona is not known for being welcoming loving to diverse ideas <laughs> mm. at least from a political standpoint you know right. so where can we as a black community with black art 
and art craft and people who want to experience um, art, art and art craft and even participate. Where can we go and be real in 100? Let's create a safe space for that home base. So the focus has always been about um, safety. Yeah. And energy. Mm -hmm. and making people feel loved. Excuse me. Making people feel loved. Making people feel accepted and wanted and valued and important. And so it was always about fairness and everyone is extremely important. So walking through the crowd, loving on folks, how you doing good, having small businesses set up tables on the front to support the small business yeah. as well. People can bring me flyers for whatever they got going on. I announce, hey, hey, it's another event going on over here. And, you know, it's something going on over here. And, you know, so the trying to create a hub of information, of attitude, of energy. I can tell you, man, it's been multiple people that met their wives, their spouses at home. Major, base, major. Uh, proposed at home base, um, you know, honored it. Like, it's crazy the influence it's had on the Phoenix community. That's beautiful. And um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's really been mind blowing. And to go for 10 years straight, and now we're at 13 years, um, you know, doing pop-ups here and there mm -hmm. as opposed to a consistent event. But our largest was our anniversary, our last anniversary, over 800. So our largest maybe over 1,000 at a poetry set. Um, yeah. At different times, we have been the largest in the nation, right? Mm. Not consistent like Georgia do their thing. Atlanta, LA had a big, Hawaii had one that was through the roof. That was crazy. Yeah. Like every time. And a lot of the college groups were killing it nationwide as well but um we we did hell as one of the largest consistently and at times the largest because you know they go in and out of business and whatnot so right um, right it's definitely yeah, no. something. And to this day people say i just don't go out i don't go out unless i know you're doing something they won't <laughs> that's dope that's dope and i've i've my reputation is important and people being able to trust me um, my consistency and, you know, things like that and being able, and I got, you know, high expectations, you know, I run a tight ship, bro. Oh, this one, this, I know. Tight ship. You're not finna act crazy up in here. You're not, you're not finna mess up the vibe. Yeah. You know, Jim Rohn taught us and I've been applying this to almost every area of my life. Nurture like a mother, protect like a father. Absolutely. Okay nurture and protect sometimes that's flip right nurture mm -hmm. like a father because i'm a very nurturing and loving dad yeah and, and protect like a mother because no one's more dangerous than a mother who's think their kids are in danger right but oh yeah nurture and protect you got to do both so right right I nurture it and i love on it but at the same time if i gotta walk somebody off stage they know i do it yeah if i gotta walk somebody at the room they know i do it to the point to where they warn people like yo man Man, don't do that. HB gonna come over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's always fun and love. And I'm never disrespectful, even when I have to address a conflict. Yeah. Even dis being disrespectful. You don't have to. Yeah. You don't have to. Even if, you know, even if I gotta really eat you alive. You know what I mean? I yeah. I still treat you like a man. Yeah, I've seen you craft some beautiful um uh exit speeches <laughs> uh in 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 the years that i've known you so man i appreciate really just so much of this time i i 
yeah it's dope it's dope i i want i want to i want to touch on one thing which this is an ask um we um if if there was one of your pieces that you were we willing to bleed on the screen for us which one would you drop for us right now well you talked about no sick days so much <laughs> i believe that would probably be uh i think that would be fair um and i even just sent it to you in the chat so you oh. man thank you yeah yeah i want to hear that okay all right without a doubt well this is this is called no sick days and um i remember reciting this right after my uncle sonny passed away Mm. We were actually in Chicago doing our conference and I was asked to write something um, and um, this is from a leadership standpoint and I was surrounded by so many leaders and my goal is to talk about the things, you know, speaking the words left unspoken, mm -hmm. right? like my first group unspoken word with me and Aaron, but what are the things not being touched on? Um, that we struggle with. So that's where no sick days came from. And anyone in the leadership role would appreciate it. And I mean, even in your family or as a parent or yeah, big brother or something, big sister. Uh, no sick days. I used to cry a lot until I realized my tears are the physical evidence of my pain. A visual reference used to shame me or a destroyer of hope and faith if seen by those who praise me, who think I'm amazing. Oh no, it can't be, did he cry? The sky must be falling. He's so strong. What could be so wrong to have him bawling? Then panic ensues. Showing weakness is the most irresponsible thing I can do. And it's not fair, but Superman doesn't get sick days. So I'm socially lonely like a half dozen being split six ways. Lois Lane does what she can, but she's only human and I'm Superman. And heroes don't get to be depressed no matter how we're pressed. I've been accused of always being on, but they don't realize heroes don't get to clock out. I don't get to go home. They can't see how many people would turn off if I'm not turned on. So if my heart breaks, I put on my face and I do my job. I used to cry often until I realized how many plug into me instead of plugging into the outlet. I'm just an extension cord used by those who ain't figured it out yet. If I go, people lose power. When it's good, I bask in the praise. So I'm not mad that Superman doesn't get sick days. It's what I signed up for. It's all I know, but I'm still trying to figure it out. I used to cry all the time, but now even if I want to, it only happens on the inside. I used to wake up screaming about demons that visited me while I was dreaming and they're still there. They just don't scare me because I survived long enough to realize people are much scarier. 
and I end up handling other people's business like I was a mail carrier. But if I don't do it, it won't get done. If I don't spin it, how will the world get spun? A leader who shows vulnerability would momentarily be shown sympathy, but eventually their respect will wear down, wearing down the leader's ability to lead them around and everyone loses. When it comes to emotional expression, everyone chooses, but the hero. It's already predetermined. So we have to walk our life like we're non-verbally preaching a sermon because everybody's watching, waiting, ready to interpret the hero's actions as gospel. Can't even be hostile to obstacles. Anger is out of control. Sadness is uncomfortable to see in someone they call to relieve their misery. They used to call me crybaby, but I ain't cried lately. Not since I considered that God blessed me so I could serve others. And if that's the case, just because I'm hurting don't mean they get to suffer. It's not fair, but it's the only way. If I want to be treated like a hero, I have to accept Superman will never get sick days. Thank you. That's strong. And I love that this is where we're ending because I, I truly believe this speaks to Biggie's song, right? You know, suicidal thoughts. It, it, it speaks to, the, I think, and you help me here, but the internals of somebody that doesn't know how to express. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think so. And what people need to, what's important is that in poetry, at least mine, it's not that everything is exactly how I said, like a leader can't show vulnerability, but it's how I felt. Yeah. So it's more about the feeling of the moment. Yeah. And being honest, then it is about this is how the world actually is. This is how I'm seeing the world in that moment of pain or vulnerability or what have you. Yeah. Right? So some some of the things in the poems are fallacies. They're not they're not true, but it's how I felt. And guess what? It's how a lot of people feel. Yeah. It's more about connection than guidance. Mm-hmm. When it comes to that, but yeah, you're right. You're right. I think it speaks to those who may not know how to express it. Yeah, that's I I I I'm like no words right now. This this is this is strong. One, I get to hear some of my f favorite pieces. I one of my favorite pieces from you. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's just powerful. I, I will say this, my content i'm i think i'm a little i'm mostly lighthearted. at least what i've brought to the to to the platform thus far is really lighthearted. but i was very intentional about bringing this subject because of how this year started with some of the news of people that passed away due to suicide yeah, the numbers are the numbers are um are skyrocketing yeah um and especially in the black community mm -hmm. um, 
you know, especially with girls. Yeah. And bring into light how it affects men who are older mm -hmm. and beyond, right? Yeah. All suicides are um, men over the age of, I think, 45 or 50. Mm. And the highest, the group with the highest um, risk from a percentage standpoint are men over 80. Right. So it doesn't go away as you get older. It could often get worse. So um, and that's not even mentioning, you know, the numbers that have gone up um, amongst black adolescents. Mm. Um, you know, in some, it's just the numbers are up. I don't, don't want to give a, a wrong number. Right. But, right. I, I respect that. Girls from 12 to 17. Um, you know, black adolescents. I'm talking about numbers that are are now higher than our other racial counterparts, and mm -hmm. that, was, that was unheard of, right? Uh, from the traditional definition of what um, constitutes suicide, mm -hmm. right? So, no, this was. I, I applaud you. I appreciate you. I just spoke at a church Wednesday, one of the biggest churches here in Phoenix, and I got to give a shout out, Kingdom of the Valley, with. Um, um, Pastor um, Steele and uh, Mrs. Steele, and you know they said from the stage, "Go get therapy." Prayer yeah. is incredible, but get some therapy. And Absolutely, medication is the right move. Do that as well. You need more than prayer, and to see a pastor say that from the from the pulpit, and now you being willing to take on this this conversation is um is super important. Hopefully, it'll normalize it. It'll help knock the stigma off of mental health and and even suicidal ideation and the other things that go along with that right on the on the peripheral of this particular topic hopefully it does that and hopefully it allows us to have conversations about it that ain't that deep yeah yeah so, you know hopefully these conversations me and my boy right who relate to us we make jokes about it you know what i mean we talk yeah. right like ooh, the darkness is on me brother you know what i mean like, yeah Cause I still go through it. I still have my episodes, you know, gotcha. forever. Yeah. Episodes have gone. Yeah. They're just shorter and not as frequent. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's a constant journey, man. It is, it is, but you're doing good work here and I applaud you for utilizing your platform to do something. So, so crucial, so crucial, so very crucial. Man. I appreciate it, big bro. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't even get to try. I, I, I want us to end this because it gives us an opportunity for you to come back. I didn't get to talk about Arizona. We still got to set up a date for me to come out there and kick it March with March 13th. March 13th. Let's lock that down, man. Celebrating um, my 30 years as a poet and I'm doing a home base. So you that, get to come and kick it and actually come to home base. That sounds fire. That's, that's on your bucket list. Yeah. That's fire. Listen, that sounds fire, man. I, I, Oh, man, I appreciate your time, the willingness to be vulnerable in sharing. Um, and really, um, for those that are watching and listening right now, listen, music and nostalgia is way more than just the fun, poppy and uh, silly stuff that we want to touch lives. And we want to make sure we talk about things that can help us elevate. Right. Um, and if there's something that we fe I feel should be brought, um, I'll bring it to you. Um, this episode with my big bro, HB, Harold Branch, has been really um, eye-opening for me because I had no knowledge. 
only aside from what I've seen online and heard on the news, which is tainted. I'm hearing uh, the perspective of somebody that knows and has seen um, is so great. So for those of you, if you're having any concerns, like if there are any thoughts, feelings, seek counseling, seek a, a trusted friend that can get you to the resources you need, but also look for counseling. Prayer still works. So don't think we're saying don't do that. But in addition, right, let's go out there and, and get the help we need. Love you guys. I appreciate you. And yes, sir. You know, let, me, let me throw the, the national hotline, suicide prevention hotline, in case you're in a crisis right now. Yeah. Like hurting yourself or you think you're going to hurt someone else. Um, there's no no shame in seeking it out, right? Seeking out that help, even if you're not sure. Even mm -hmm. if you're not sure, still seek it. 1-800-273-8255. Um, That's 1-800-273-8255. And you know, we all, you're going to call from your phone. They all smartphones. You could just Google it. If you don't want nobody to be able to see your, your history on that, just create a private page and look it up. Yeah. But yeah. definitely look it up and make the phone call. Don't even give your name. Don't even give your name, but talk to somebody. Talk to Absolutely. somebody. Absolutely. You're not by yourself, man. You're not alone. This world will will do everything it can to, to break you. Um, and just know you're not by yourself with any of the decisions that you're doing. Everyone else just ain't talking about it. And that's the problem. Yeah. Talk about it. That's why I talk about it. Yeah. Bro, I love it. I hope you guys enjoy this. Music and nostalgia is going to keep rocking. And just know this, uh, no matter the subject, we're willing to tackle it because we know that there's nostalgia in every aspect of our lives. So music and nostalgia is here to stay. So remember this. No matter your path, no matter your challenges, the joy is truly always in the journey. All right. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, bro. Love you, bro. Peace.